Hello, lifers. This is Heather Drew, and this is the Life in the Whirlwind podcast. Today, I have a guest. My friend Caleb Cliff is here joining us today. I will introduce him a little bit more at the end of this episode, but he and I will be having this conversation, and I think you will find it invigorating and uh, exciting. And whatever else you feel like feeling during the conversation. But uh, I'm very happy to have Caleb here. And uh, we're, in my, we're in my dining room currently. And uh, you can just imagine that, that we're here in a dining room. Caleb, welcome to the Life in the Whirlwind podcast. Hello. Thank you. All right. So today I have some questions for Caleb. I'm, we're going to just... Uh, one of the things that Caleb and I tend to be good at is having long conversations about many, many things. So I thought I would create a few questions and ask him those questions. And we kind of just play around with the questions and hopefully this will all apply to the desires of your hearts and, uh, help you reach life in the whirlwind to a greater degree. So the first question that I have is this question, Caleb, what do you think people are most hungry and thirsty for in our current world? Outside of food and water. Um, well, I, I think, yeah, when I get, when I try to put it into a more sensible idea, it does seem like safety. Like, why do we, why do we tend to be defensive? It's because we want to make sure that we're safe mm. or not just defensive, but when, when there's this kind of a lot of oppositional talk these days, um, I think it's because people want to feel safe in their own skin and about who they are. And then on top of that, and I don't, I think it's hard to have the second one without the first, first being safety and the second one being that an equal chance of being able to prosper or find whatever success means for you personally. Hmm. So, um, so yeah, having, having things and people and space that gives you a sense of safety and then capitalizing on that safety to find bounty, whatever that means Hmm. to to an individual. Hmm. You feel like there's specific, um, when you say safety, that can mean so many different things. And words like bounty and safety are heavy laden with meaning, right? Or highly ambiguous intentionally. True. True. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think it's it's honestly to account for just the tremendous ways in which people do interpret these things. Mm-hmm. My sense of safety might be nothing like yours. I, yeah. I might have a sense of safety like hanging from treetops and jumping around from mountain to mountain, whereas other people really, really want to be on the ground. Um, and a sense of bounty might be a lot of money or a lot of material goods or just a lot of freedom to go explore places or meet new people. So that's why I'm, they're really open. Yeah. Uh, I think oftentimes, you know, we don't see these things as the same. So therefore it's more mindful to not express them in such, um, explicit terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That reminds me, when you said that, it reminded me of um, this Chinese folktale, The Monkey and the Fish. Have you ever heard this folktale? I feel like I've heard I'll tell of you. It. I'll 
tell the very brief version of this, but there's, you know, um, this takes place in a setting where there's, you know, many, many different animals and regularly floodwaters rise. And one day the floodwaters start rising. And when the floodwaters rise, uh, you know, the birds fly and the, the larger animals go to the mountaintops and the monkeys climb trees and all these things. And so there's a one monkey in the story who climbs a tree and looks down. The waters rise up very close to the branch where he is. And he looks down into the water and he sees a fish that looks like it is struggling. And uh, really it's just swimming, but it looks like to him that it's struggling. And so he reaches down into the water and picks up the fish and lays it in the branch. And uh, the fish does a dance and then dies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, obviously... The context for this is kind of this picture of sometimes what we believe is safe for another is actually just safe for us, um, mm. which is kind of why that came to mind when you said that. Well, which reminds me of this statement that I'm not going to get correct, but the one about it's like judging a fish's in intelligence by how well it can climb a tree, <laughs> something to that effect. Mm -hmm. and it's the same kind of mm -hmm. thing. It's like... Yeah were you know circumstances and um environments in which we are brought up and very heavily uh impact how we think of these things mm -hmm. yeah yeah so with that okay so one of the things that i really i've been thinking so much about lately is interconnectedness so we're going to touch on this a little bit maybe as we keep progressing through the questions, this is not a question, <laughs> but uh, this is within the same question. But it, I feel like it's interesting to think through with safety and we think about hungry and thirsty. Um, I have this, you know, I have a very strong conviction that we're all, there's an interconnectedness that's there, whether we recognize it or not with other human beings. Mm. And so how does what I'm hungry and thirsty for uh, impact this other person. And, you know, I guess, how would you apply that if you're thinking about that, like interconnectedness and sort of what we're pursuing in life? Um, how would you sort of story this idea of like, um, staying interconnectedness as we pursue our hungers and thirsts and our desires and safeties? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I think that is, there is a lot, uh, there are many ways of thinking through this, therefore answering it. But I, th I think um, discipline obviously is something that could play a role in it um, in terms of self-discipline mm. and just being mindful that, you know, life has, is going to have compromises and mm -hmm. spaces where you give in a little in order to make sure the other person has what they need or are looking for. Mm -hmm. And that can be sometimes really difficult. Um, sometimes people seem like they need a lot more than you're able to give. But um, I think in a broad view that oftentimes these things work themselves out. So if you find yourself giving a lot in one period of your life, that doesn't mean that you won't get bad things mm -hmm. um, at a you know different point in your life. So yeah, make, you know, always, I guess, make space or keep space available so that 
you are more flexible in these things. I think holding rigidly to how things are supposed to be is where this gets most problematic is because if you create a singular or uh, a very narrow way of understanding things to be correct, Mm. then you invite conflict. And so Mm. if you can avoid being so rigid about those things, then you... It, and it makes, honestly, it makes a lot of life easier just to, mm-hmm. to have that openness mm-hmm. because then you're not stuck on the identity of something always showing up in the same way. Yeah. And I think too, in that, like with that give and take, sometimes the things that you give and what you'll get be given back are not, you're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. So just because you gave someone money doesn't mean someone else is going to give you money, yeah. but it, they might give you something else that really, really is necessary or Mm. needed Mm. so it's just and that's the same kind of openness to maintain in all of these um and uh and i think that actually helps to um adhesify or gel the that interconnectedness in a sense because you're making space for there to be overlap Mm. Mm -hmm. right yeah and right. so, right. you know, connection doesn't happen if you don't have some kind of overlap, if your edges don't in some way fray with yeah. each other. So, you know, allow space for the the needle to thread the two of you together mm-hmm. or more. Right, right. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, when we were, I was just thinking like conversations are just asking open questions of people when you don't know them or you have a different experience than they do, just asking really open questions about themselves and their experiences. Very powerful to stay connected and be open toward their own hungers and desires. Not in agreement. <laughs> nodding, <laughs> nodding in agreement. <laughs> That's what we're doing heard. for those who do not see us. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So, this kind of brings up this point that we've talked about before about emotional wisdom and the importance of emotional wisdom. And, um, I really value emotional intelligence, emotional wisdom, because I feel like there's, um, there's a little bit of what we just talked about, this openness and this awareness of interconnectedness with other humans, not just sort of staying in our lanes, but sort of like opening ourselves up to other options. But so how would you define emotional wisdom and how might you see that playing out in somebody's life? Maybe your own life, even. Whatever. Um, well, it is, I think, if I compare it to how I think of just regular wisdom, um, you know, wisdom, knowledge-based wisdom, as opposed to a body intelligence, mm-hmm. um, it is a matter of, trying to get to the essence of what emotions are teaching you. Mm. Um, and I think that, that definitely is a matter also in itself of being able to recognize it for that. Uh, I think a lot of difficulty with emotions for people is they don't recognize it as teacher. And so therefore mm. it feels, mm-hmm. you know, something you want to rebel against or fight against. And ultimately it's your body, it's yourself. So, fight against it is to fight your own nature Mm -hmm. and therefore you won't be able to receive whatever it is trying to teach you Mm. um and so wisdom 
emotional wisdom to me would be a matter of like being as open as you can to emotions when they come through you and not to not resist them just to sit with them and let them just imprint information because mm -hmm. you know they're touching on so many parts of your body um just to share a little i did my master's was big part of it was studying emotion and neurophysiology and so therefore the connections between the brain particularly the middle brain the limbic system and then what we consider to be the autonomic system and how that plays out into the rest of your body so muscles nervous system uh blood um and you know your breath rate will change a lot of things will happen when you go through emotions and so and then that's fine mm -hmm. that's, just normal because mm -hmm. they're from a much much more mm -hmm. primordial version of ourselves that was not equipped with you know a house to come home to and a lot of very kind of you know advancements that allow us to get more you know to do more things that are fun or challenging or exploratory um in nature and so they often feel they go against that mm. they they feel out of our control because they're mm. from another time of when mm. a lot more things were out of our control right. when we were the prey of predators it wasn't so yeah, simple as just be like oh i'm gonna go home now <laughs> no that it didn't work out like that right. um and so i think in the present times is to kind of reimagine what this archaic um primordial system that's built into you this way of being imprinted upon and realizing oh no it's it's a it's a thing to to find equilibrium with and to find i mean pure sadness can also be incredible mm. i think if you want to give into it because it that ability to and give you sympathy and empathy with others mm. i think is is one of the biggest things mm. that's what we you know emotions is so you can be like oh i recognize that I'll go be with that person, mm. even if it mm. means not talking or anything, just sitting with them and just being like, mm, I'm going to be uh, whatever you are with you right now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, that, that's so valuable. And we, it's, that's, that, that's very hard to find in our world, unfortunately. Yeah. Somebody who can actually <laughs> be like, Oh, I know where that, I know where that shows up in my body. And I remember that feeling and I, that's what that means. And this person is, you know, and just actually literally sitting with that person yeah and holding that space with them it's it's hard to do yes i think i mean especially with the amount of distractions we have and other things that are are important in our own lives just because we all have a tendency to fill them up quite a bit with you know <laughs> things that do need to be done maybe some of them could be struck um but, uh, but yeah, uh, and I think that's also another part of why they're there. I mean, the distinction, one of the neatest things I discovered when I was doing my studies was the distinction from kind of the reptilian uh, style of thinking and approaching life to the mammalian version of approaching life was that aspect, mm -hmm. was this within a mammalian brain, you have partnership, you have community forming. Mm -hmm. You don't interconnectedness, perhaps. Correct. <laughs> but the well, I think the reason for that is because you can share mm. in this bigger emotion, mm. this kind of collective emotion, where it's like mm. reptiles kind of crawl over each other, and maybe they are connected in the sense of they're like with they're drawing 
some kind of like body temperature from Who each knows? other, yeah. but I don't know. If... I'm just imagining my bearded dragon right now because he's <laughs> scraping his belly across his hammock. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. But the whereas the, you know, the bears and the, um, the elephants and the whales, I mean, you see how they travel together, what, they communicate mm-hmm. with each other, and they have a shared existence that wouldn't happen without a, a limbic system. Mm-hmm. And so humans are the amplification of this and having one of the largest neocortexes, you know, on top of that, um, to then get more nuanced and detailed and have uh, highly advanced language and yeah. all this stuff. But it was that very pivotal point in, in mammals, I think, and why emotions are so important because they themselves weren't developing involved languages, mm. but they could share this resonance, mm. this emotional resonance. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't want to stray too far from the concepts of wisdom, but yeah. um, I do see that as being a kind of very embodied sense of it. Agreed. Yeah. When we, when we first met, I totally tested you because we started talking about like neurobiology and, uh, quantum entanglement, all these lovely things that I like talking about that I can't find anyone to talk about that with. (laughs) And, uh, I remember I said something like, what's the body for? Just to see Uh, what you, what you would say. Well, I mean, it was, it was to be your teacher. Right. (laughs) He said, yeah. Uh, well, after first saying, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too many, too many possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. But I do want to, I just want to highlight because it feels, I would feel sh- um, unfair to not, uh, that my friend who I speak with on a regular yeah. basis, uh, yeah. my friend Jim Kleiber, who um, teaches uh, what he calls emotional self-defense, but which is a, a means of learning trying to tap into your own emotions better, therefore giving you better ability to recognize emotions in others, and then trying to connect those two things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and our discussions really, really advanced my awareness and my desire to become fully, fully invested and like conscious mm-hmm. of developing that relationship. Um, not that I wasn't fairly conscious about it, but it really helped to sort of put, kind of see see it in actionable yeah. in everyday relationships, yeah. which I don't know how to hide kind of very concretely uh, determine that. So yeah, so yeah his yeah. his work is mm. is uh, very um, integral to my understanding of these things at this mm. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we'll have him on the podcast sometime. It'd be fun. <laughs> You're to be all in a room together. That'd be fun. Yeah, or a fun time. All or on maybe, mic together. Yes, yeah. true, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, so. I feel the need for a very brief public service announcement, uh, given this fact. What we just talked about for a second there. Um, I really feel like. Um. So I've been teaching this class on social and cultural diversity and counseling as part of the graduate school that I work at. And we've been talking about racism, homophobia, um, equal rights, things like that, and how they show up in counseling and how to be ethical 
therapists and things like that. And one of the things that I taught in this class, and this is applicable to all of us, I feel like we don't have enough. Mm, I, I would really like to see more of this, I guess is really, I'll phrase it the opposite direction. I would love to see more of this where there's this tapping into before I act defensive, before I behave defensively, when I encounter mm. someone who's very different than I am, can I ha- know, have enough embodied knowledge and embodied with like wisdom, wisdom enough to mental wisdom enough to go into my body and say, Ooh, I feel that like tingling, which I identify, I can identify as defensiveness rising. Um, could I pause there, breathe <laughs> and chill out a little bit of what's happening there and actually in that time, even like I always say, like count to 15 is one of the most powerful tools we have mm. is like just breathe and count to 15. And then there's no impulsive response of defensiveness. And that maintains or promotes or perpetuates that like interconnectedness that really is like a self-fulfilling have you done, doiness. Have you done, <laughs> done this yourself? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah. And it, do you... I'm wondering, I don't want to say too much, but uh, someone I know who recently is going through something tough and kind of saying a lot of very uh, extreme things about things they will do, and it seems most of that is coming out of an emotional response. So maybe not the best time to try and Mm. determine Mm -hmm. these things. Yeah, right. Which I think... Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you can, I feel like there's definitely spaces for, you know, (laughs) these are, this is one of the differentiations of safety, you know, for if you're with like your good friend and you know each other, I feel like there's a little more room for you to just let it rip. Like, (laughs) here's my emotional language, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But then there There are times when you're trying to have a conversation that's productive or you're actually trying to hear someone or you're trying to not act on the negative emotions that could potentially disconnect the two of you. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And I, I think actually I don't know well enough myself because I'm not as learned as I could be about it. But I think a lot of these techniques um, are actually pretty well developed in nonviolent communication. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. Um, so there Most are, people don't know about this, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's more yeah. a matter of, yeah, helping mm-hmm. to foster that education Mm -hmm. to more people especially people in very you know positions of of military power of of Mm -hmm. like where the advancement to make decisions that could implicate many many people's lives that's Mm -hmm. where this instruction would be the most Mm -hmm. helpful i mean granted it would be helpful to everybody all people yeah yeah um yeah yeah but it but yeah, even honestly, I was when you were talking and before you even said counting to 15, I thought I was like, yeah, count to 10 before mm-hmm. you do anything, no mm-hmm. matter what. Mm-hmm. Even responding out of too much joy might not be a great idea. Yeah, that maybe. sounds yeah. weird. It's very possible. But I was thinking about this on the way here. <laughs> this is like a funny thing, but sometimes people who are out and they're drinking and they're having a good time, and it isn't just the drinking. Yes, the drinking helps but it's also because it's leading them into a place of where they're more relaxed they're more comfortable and there's a flow that just seems okay so mm-hmm. people will make a decision whether it's to take a different type of drug they've never taken it before or to go home with someone they wouldn't normally go mm-hmm. home with or whatever 
a consequence they were like surprised to look at the next day. But that's part of that. Okay, but good portion of it is the alcohol, but part of it is because you're relaxed mm. and you're mm. making a decision mm. out of that space. Mm. I think. I don't mm. I mean I I don't have any, you yeah. know, science to back this up, but I think meaning just to say people will say, "Oh, when you're really angry or scared or sad, it's not a good time to make a decision." Right. I would say the same thing's true when you're really really happy. Hmm. Because you might hmm. be maybe more optimistic than hmm. you should be about that particular thing. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's yeah. all within yeah. a you know a discipline, um, yeah, or a balance. Uh huh. But oh boy, that could be its own episode, couldn't it? <laughs> I'm just thinking uh, of all like the 15 questions that I have now. <laughs> That's how my brain works. <laughs> At least it's less than 8,000 <laughs> questions. <laughs> right. I'm improving. That's a- <laughs> <laughs> good. Okay. Okay. Moving. Okay, let's move forward for the sake of time, time, which exists whether we like it or not. Sort of. Or maybe it doesn't. <laughs> Something measurable is happening right now. <laughs> it's mostly incidental. <laughs> Speaking of incidental, <laughs> let's talk about science. <laughs> so this past week, this is part of what I'll tell listeners at the end of this episode when I say more about you, but... Um, you have, well, actually, I'll say it now. You have your own podcast called Every Little Counts. It's on iTunes, and it's also on your website, which I'll give at the end. And um, this past week, you did your episode on science, which I love. It's just like, just science. <laughs> nothing more, no, nothing more, just science. Um, so one of the things I, again, like, I really, we can go back and forth about science quite a bit. It's really fun. But... What would you say is the narrative of science? I think a lot of people can question science or have some like, I don't know, especially people who, uh, I, I, in my experience, I've found that people who are spiritual, religious, or have like more narrow, um, mm, some things, <laughs> not thoughts, but approaches. Approaches, yeah. Like there's a little more rigidity, like what we were talking about before. Um, they might fear science, or they might feel like there's something mm. there that. I think. Well, to to riff off of, I think a notion that I was um, exploring in my podcast was just that science is is such a common thing. Um, and I think often the way it's pitted to us is as this extreme sort of advanced high study thing. And it's like, it doesn't have to be that at all. Right. Um, can you give that example that you use in your podcast about, oh, about how to doing something nice for someone, just doing someone nice for someone. uh, You're using abstract thought because you're, you're dipping into memories. You're thinking about what you know about this person, which is a complex thing that only the human brain can do. Um, and then so out of that that set, you determine way out which makes the most sense, mm-hmm. depending on what you do, what you want to do, and then you present. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's more or less mm-hmm. a kind of science. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Even when you're choosing your clothing to wear that morning is like a has a mm-hmm. real minimal version, but in a sense, it's like you still have to do some slight analysis. Yeah. Uh, and I think, and we were talking about this before, but it is it's just a, being curious. Yeah, that's all science ever was to begin with. Is just starting to 
become your being, become yourself. I mean, why does a baby, every baby, see something as something it could eat? <laughs> <laughs> or at least should get the taste of. And uh -huh. like, oh, yeah, don't like that. <laughs> oh, but that's delicious. <laughs> but it's not meant to be eaten, you know? And so you have <laughs> that, but that's an innate human thing is to is discovery and self-discovery and i think that's all science ever really came from mm. um mm -hmm. and i yeah as the intellect developed then our science developed right yeah so one of the things so i think a lot about new, the newtonian narrative and how it can complicate things as far as because i'm so i love mystery and i think science actually this is one of the funny things about science is that i actually think science is very uh, enraptured with mystery, but it's become almost more about predictability. So my science that I know the best is psychology, but you know, it's like, I hate that there's a book of diagnoses for human beings. It's like, here's the name that's now going to be applied to you with a number also attached to that. It feels very like you have to be a predictable thing. And that drives me mad slightly, which is in the DSM, by the way. <laughs> no, just kidding. It's not a diagnosis. <laughs> but it really, I like, I hate... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just give it some time. <laughs> but it's that predictive... There's, like, an arrogance to predictability that I tend to have a resistance towards. So, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I suppose I would sort of think back to, you know, what, what it is that humans hunger... Mm -hmm. And the sense of safety. And the people want predictability because it's safe. It doesn't feel like you're going to land somewhere that you don't know, that you're not familiar with. And so the reason why people want that is the same reasons. Mm -hmm. We're, we are creatures of safety, whether or not we think about ourselves that way. Even the people who are most extreme, who do crazy, you know, like bungee jumping and skydiving, there's still some sense of safety, some sense of control right. to be had when doing very risky, crazy yeah. things. Yeah. Um, mm. So I think that's all mm. that prediction really is, is wanting mm. to know that we'll survive the outcome of whatever it is that's going to happen. Mm, interesting. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> We're going to go back to that. That's good stuff. Say that again. Did you know what you just said? Do you remember well, what you just said? Yeah. <laughs> okay, say it it's again. recorded too. Say it again. We want to survive the outcome of whatever happens. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so that's interesting. So I feel like that makes me go to this place of like risk aversion. I feel is mm. so wrapped up with, uh, the fear that it's not going to end well, which, you know, that's a survival mechanism i suppose but well and this and it, is the difference between yeah go go ahead i i would also i mean i want to stress that a lot of this is imagined because right yeah i think it does you know failure people are scared of trying something new even if the only judge is themselves mm. and it's like well Which is usually the got, best judge <laughs> yeah yeah well you've got very little loose yeah other than yeah. some socially derived a set of morals that mm. may not be your own and mm. yet you're mm -hmm. still using those to determine whether or not you should or shouldn't do something as simple as like i'm gonna write a poem mm -hmm. and but i'm scared to because what if i look at it and think oh no my friends will think i'm 
totally weird or bad at this or don't know how to rhyme or whatever, you know, strange mm-hmm. thing you think might be a consequence of writing a poem. Yes. Um, so, no. but, so again, it's a sense of safety is sort of like, well, my psychology is like relatively intact. Mm-hmm. Now, why would I go do the thing that might undo it all? Mm. But that's silly. Mm. Everyone recovers. I mean, like why you're supposed to go play in the dirt and stuff when you're a kid, right? Mm. I wrote a blog on that called Psychological Hand Sanitizer. Uh, (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to say this thing out loud that I'm thinking because it might benefit those who are listening to this and it'll certainly benefit my brain to get it out of it, out of itself. So I just have to get it out of my mouth. But, um, I feel like, so science, this predictability framework is very much the benefit of that is that actually, and this is scientifically sound, mistakes are the way we learn. And like in the new Star Wars movie, this is said by Yoda. (laughs) So it's obviously true um, in my mind. But, you know... uh, failures are our greatest teachers and mistakes are the things that we learn from the most. So yeah, like lean in and screw up so you can learn. That's really scary, but extremely valuable. Well that, and you remind me of something else I was thinking about before coming here. I mean, kind of in gearing up towards this, but it was like the word mistake hmm. is, <laughs> comes from a, a take that missed what you were intending but it doesn't actually mean it's incorrect and so i think the idea of making mistakes i mean i learned this when i was much younger making music and um was a much more of a perfectionist and then i started embracing my mistakes because sometimes they were the most interesting parts of what i was trying to do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and as i became more and more of an improvised musician that all of those things like mistakes didn't exist anymore because as soon as you took the the step in that direction that's the direction you're walking and so mm-hmm. it was no longer a mistake mm-hmm. it was the thing that you took yeah um and so mistakes are not only teachers in that one sense of like oh well this isn't quite what i expected but they're also the sense of oh i don't always need to get what i expect so yeah I think, and that is a big part of scientific endeavor. Is I don't know, and I, but I want to know more, even though I know I can't know it all. I want to know as maybe as much as I can, or just enough to know that what is safe, what is possible. So mm. it is that that again that curiosity. Mm-hmm. because, you know, why in the world do cats do some of the things that they do? <laughs> this is why we have YouTube channels <laughs> devoted to them doing weird things. Exactly, <laughs> they take so many chances so freely, and it is often to our amusement and yes. maybe to their, but their seeming resilience. <laughs> They're so, fine. Like, yeah, so it's like, what can we learn from mm. cats, like, being so curious, um, or anything for that matter. Um, Very good point. Which brings us to this ever important point of why we called this episode Life as Practice, actually. Mm. Um, <laughs> I thought about calling it Life as Participation, but then we talked about practice so much the other day. I thought maybe that would be a better way of saying that. And I think, you know, the question just sort of being like, 
so you did a blog post called practice makes practice uh didn't you do one that was also like music makes us make music something like that so music similar kind makes of. us makes music yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so for some people this is a new concept or at least cognitive like they're not co- they're not aware of it that they that they're always practicing something right uh and some people this is not a new concept they're very practiced at practicing as it were <laughs> so meta um but anyway what do you like talk about that life as practice it really folds into what you're saying cats practicing <laughs> jumping on ceiling fans is a form of like finding out what happens when you jump on ceiling fans yep. <laughs> do we get along uh, maybe not <laughs> will you murder me right will you throw me in ultimately a different direction i started from yes <laughs> uh evidence is born right yeah <laughs> but it, well the it's the science of life <laughs> oh that's a whole other thing we could I get into a little, little curvy <laughs> oh yeah never a curve. go on go on love those curves mm-hmm. uh the that so that blog post um i guess two things to share where that came from so i studied uh shaolin kung fu for three years and one of the things they teach you in that is that you never master, you only work towards mastery. Mm. So that was, that was one thing. And then the, t- the title itself was a playoff of practice makes perfect. Because mm-hmm. I right. thought, I was, I'm <laughs> like, well, I think pretty much everyone agrees that this perfect doesn't exist. Mm. Um, it's just a, it's a thing to kind of entrain your body and mind to really, you know, give you spirit and try hard at what it is you want to do. Yeah. And so practice makes practice started coming to me as like a thing of trying to be as conscious with all the things I was doing in life. Mm. And as simple as walking down the street mm-hmm. or making breakfast or um, anything. I don't know. It's mm. like never allowing things in a sense to be mundane mm. because I was with them. Yeah. And mm. when you're with things, they, they tend to, I don't know, satisfy that craving at the same time. It's a, I mean, and it's incredibly challenging to be present for certain things. Mm. I think yeah. as a child going to church, that was mm. very difficult for me because mm. it was a lot of lulls and kind of repetitions and things. Um, but as I got older and tried to tune in with everything it was just and it was like oh no this is an opportunity for you to figure out right now like in that moment what's the best way to do this mm-hmm. or what's the funniest way to do this <laughs> right you know whatever felt right. whatever was going to satisfy that craving mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so so yeah it was it was i mean it and kung fu definitely played a role in this uh, <laughs> and this, this still happens from time to time, but when I was studying, I would be cooking and I would really try and make all of my steps around the kitchen the most efficient, <laughs> but at the same time, like being really graceful. <laughs> so moving to get like vegetables from one counter and bring them over to where I was chopping them, I wanted it to be like beautiful Mm -hmm. and so it was Mm -hmm. little stuff like that where i was like Mm -hmm. 
And the more that that could kind of become a, uh, like breathing, mm-hmm. you know, you, you pull in energy, you breathe out the energy. It's like that, you know, Qigong being like a slower mm-hmm. version of Kung Fu, or mm-hmm. Tai Chi, yeah. um, is all about breath and, and like really understanding the flow of your movements. And so all of life became, well, had the potential, I should say, didn't all become, but had the potential of becoming this practice, this relationship of flow, energy going out, energy coming in. Um, and that, you know, chi as a life force, that's the whole concept, is it's always there. It's always mm-hmm. something to be tapped into. So that was, that's, that was my relationship with this mm. coming into myself completely as often as possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, yeah. Last summer, I was at the beach, and I was standing just at the edge of where the tide was coming up and my, you know, your feet get buried as the tide comes up and back over. Mm. I was standing there and I was sort of like feeling, I was paying very, very close attention to the whole process. And I had this sort of, I mean, it was extremely, one of those moments I've, I highly doubt I'll ever forget where I thought this is life. Like this is it. You know, I'm looking at the ocean. This is very trippy, but like I genuinely had like a, full out epiphany of like, this is what life is, is it's paying attention to the things that are happening all the time and participating in it, not just letting it pass you by, which is when this concept of like life in the whirlwind even came up is this Mm. like, it's happening. Uh, I remember like my yoga teacher, Jake, he always says yoga, the capital Y, like the, the philosophy, the wisdom of it itself like the wisdom of your body, the wisdom of energy, whatever. Uh, it's all happening whether you're paying attention or not. So are you going to participate or are you not going to participate? So it's just very, yeah, that's why practice is the word that's used for yoga practice. Mm. It's, it's not just like down dog, it's <laughs> breathing, it's <laughs> paying attention to what's happening internally and externally. That Well, and yeah, I think... And it really, but it also is good to to think about, and we talked about this a little bit before, was that idea of practice. Mm-hmm. When you're practicing life, meaning intentionally going through it, mm-hmm. you are integrating new things that yeah. help improve mm-hmm. your experience and quality of life. You're learning. You're learning. Yeah. Because... Well, and you might be learning that there is a greater flexibility to things too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in that sense is that, oh, there's so many different ways mm-hmm. to practice and experience and find enjoyment or find pain or whatever it is that you mm-hmm. are looking to find in that moment. Right. Um, right. And so, because I do think it's very important, again, touching back on the emotional side of things is when something is introduced to you emotionally is to be with it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a practice. Mm-hmm. practice that emotion mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. it's really know it intimately yeah 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 it's super helpful for you not being scared of other people's situations mm. and or your own when it comes back again correct yeah 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 but i think these mm. days especially i think it would be really helpful if people could dive deep into their own experiences so that they understand 
it could be for totally different reasons. Someone else is angry or feels like they don't have access to the things that they want. Maybe it's not the same for you, but you've known those times. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, deep, dig into that space. Get out of your intellect and get into your body and say, well, okay, I don't like how that feels. I wouldn't want to constantly be, you know, hyperventilating because I wasn't able to make, you know, be able to feed my kids. Mm. You know, something as yeah. straightforward as that. It's like, mm. right, you can imagine that feeling. So yeah. how do you help other people get out of that mm. if you can? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by but by way of empathizing with them, regardless of the, the reason. Yes. Mm, um, it's good. <laughs> I, just, I think the, a long pause would not satisfy our listeners, but that's what I feel like, Joe, I just want to like absorb that. Give me, let me drop in. No, I won't. Um, okay. Last question, which is a perfect segue. This, we've, you introduced this fairly early on in our friendship, uh, the agile framework it was the first time we met actually and i remember i was like it that word was in neon lights agile was in my head for so many days like it was just bopping around in there and i felt like first of all it was very you know it just gave a word a name to this practice stuff like you said something just a minute ago that when you are practicing you like the matrix came to my mind shocker uh of like downloading information into the back of your head i know kung fu (laughs) yeah exactly but it's like you're practicing these things to sort of download them into your framework of okay this is the way the world works like when i do this this happens and sometimes when i do this this happens and and so you become the more practice you do the more agile you become because you know more about mm-hmm. what's going to happen when you do a certain thing, right? It's not, and this is where science and, you know, agility kind of plays a funny, like, oh, it's like this dance, right? It's mm-hmm. this interesting dance. Uh, so can you talk about anything, you know, talk more about this agile framework? Is there anything else you want to add to that? or? Oh, yeah. Explain it. <laughs> tell us about it. Well, and I... I my basically i i'm giving all these things away about who i am as we do this it's okay that's how it goes um (laughs) i spent three years putting together an album um i started making that in the january of 2011 and pretty early on i think i realized i was going to call it embracing the gray um and as i was getting more into meditation and more into just understanding my own spirituality and Buddhism and all of these things, this concept of bracing the gray was like really taking on more of a, was becoming a whole thing in its own. And so it was like, life isn't black and white. Life mm-hmm. isn't very binary. It's got a lot of messy stuff in the middle of it. And so it seemed like the, the way forward was to embrace that, was mm-hmm. to just mm-hmm. take in the gray and just be okay with it. Um, and, and be open to it, learn about it. Say yes to it. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm. so in that same sense, it was like, you know, math is great, but math won't solve a lot of like complex human emotional problems. Wait, what? 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, just kidding. Sorry. I hate math. Sorry. We are not <laughs> so I don't algorithms. like math. <laughs> <laughs> math is valuable, but I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy math quite a bit, but <laughs> I also recognize, I feel like I recognize its place. Yeah. And I think in that same sense of like, you know, math presents a problem and then has a solution mm. that is just sums everything up. Whoop, done. Mm. Very linear. Yeah. Life is anything but linear it might have that experience because of time but it's very tangential and uh, tacit and you know very quantum and very confused parallels that don't necessarily always match up um and so you have to be somehow have frameworks that are comprehensive enough to to make uh to pivot and to to change mm. according to whatever is going on and hence the agile framework because i started feeling like if the example i was thinking of before is like there is no one single solution for hmm. every dingle every dingle every <laughs> there is dingle. no solution for every dingle i can tell you that right uh, now uh, as a dingle it's true <laughs> um for every single homeless person hmm. right each on um, each one of them might have slightly different right. circumstances of what right. got them there and what's going to improve their situation mm. and so that's you know that's a one version of considering the agile framework is oh right we each have different sets of needs or circumstance that cause where we're at and then the same thing applies to what's going to allow us to get wherever it is that we think is the best for us yeah and in some cases it isn't actually going to be having a home mm. yeah these people who are in some cases some people who are homeless i don't want a home right they're nomads there's, or there's something else going on. Right. We don't need to know that. Right. But it would be a lot cooler if we had a society and um, you know the larger regulations that be regulatory systems that said, okay, right, this is a that's the whole point of this country to have very individualized freedom. And so, but Caleb, that's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. But that's but the th that's the fun yeah. of it. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I mean, if you want simple mm. <laughs> um, systems and things, then ooh, you're in the wrong place. I Ugh. mean, as the experience of a human, if you want something simple, you're not gonna get it. And even I, yeah, every everyone's this little yeah. magical mystery. That's we. They has an opportunity to you know, demystify as much as possible, but never the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, but that, I don't know, that's what makes it interesting, is that there is no two mm. uh, no same paths right. or experiences. And yeah. so, and hence, in that sense, is that all of us together create some kind of truth. Individually, we create realities, mm. but only together do we create a big ultimate truth. Mm. But none of us can see it mm. because we make it all together. Mm. So it's mm. very, yeah. Yeah. But. Yes. So. Yep. so the, the, no fixed solution. I, I, I mean, <laughs> as a therapist, I say this a lot because I feel I actually have over the years that I've done this, I've found uh, the more rigid your framework is, the more. Anxiety, depression, um, 
loss you experience, mm-hmm. which is, and so I, you know, I tend to, I, this is a working thing. Like I'm not settled on this fully, but I feel like there's necessary suffering and unnecessary suffering, which I've said on this podcast before, but there's like, you really, I think unnecessary suffering, the majority of that comes from a more rigid framework. Like here's this problem and here's the way to solve it. Mm. And I find that to be terribly limiting in life, but also I feel like it actually really makes people less full of life. I just feel like it's, deadening and well it, and i th- but i think th- would say there's a lot of our culture that suggests that is the way we do things mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. from everything from how we're taught in school to how our medical system tends to operate right. is there's very defined very definitive categories um very definitive diagnoses mm-hmm. uh and you know very prescriptive forms of education and so it's just constantly reinforced Mm. by our culture and society and it's which isn't that that is in itself isn't the problem but it was sort of like at some point we you know we exponentially grew and all of a sudden the systems grew with us Mm. i don't know how much we kind of took uh reflected on these systems Mm. before they expanded to become the norms interesting and so now we have this very very uh um intense uh superstructure Mm. of systems that may be flawed Mm. in in these ways and so they're incidentally yeah they're they're helping to create this narrow way of seeing things and therefore narrow way of answering things yes um yeah but Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, and I, but that's the, again, therein lies the beauty of being a human yeah. is that we do have the means to change this. It's simply up to like <laughs> thinking that way. Yeah. 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 And yeah, like everything is, is kind of a belief system. Yeah. Whether or not we want to really think that's true. You're only, if you think about it, while you're thinking about whether or not you think it's true, you realize, oh, wait, I'm thinking about whether or not I think this is true. Hold on. Something is not quite right. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. But I'm, I'm, yeah. Good. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, it, okay. Let's, I'm looking at the time. So let's wrap up. Um, I'm going to say a little bit more about Caleb now, and then I'm going to give you today's invitation uh caleb cliff caleb w cliff (laughs) what's your real name wesley okay caleb wesley cliff so uh caleb is many many things he's he's a man of many talents uh you are a musician you're an artist you do you've done design you've done um movie for film music for films um you are an Ayurvedic paradigm practitioner. <laughs> See, look at that. I just, I just did that right now. Just put it out in the universe. Uh, you're a blogger. More recently, you're a podcaster. Uh, you're fun. You're a creative, uh, interesting person. Um, and most of, most excitingly to me, <laughs> no, I'm a little selfish here. I'm going to be a little selfish here. Uh, I wanted to sort of let you all know, listeners, that uh, 
Caleb and I are hoping and planning to offer some workshops and retreats in the near future. It's not too dissimilar from the winter of listening retreat and um, be offering these fairly regularly. So if you like what you're hearing today, you will surely be intrigued in our future uh, manifestations of the of, of said philosophies <laughs> and thoughts. But yeah, we're excited about this. We've been talking about it for a bit and um, it's gonna we're gonna make this happen. So stay tuned. We will alert you all to the news as it comes. Um, I'm also going to play, after I give this invitation, I am going to play one of your songs on here, if you don't mind, at oh, the end of this episode. Sure. So that people can enjoy your music. <laughs> but if you'd like to check out Caleb's stuff, uh, he has a lot of stuff on SoundCloud. His podcast is on his website. And your website is calebwcliff.com. So check him out. Uh, very lucky and grateful to have you here. And uh, very lucky to meet Bye. you and know you. I appreciate being here and the invitation to talk with you on this. And I have to admit, I felt like I was trimming back on what I could say. As it should be. <laughs> Gotta save something for later. <laughs> if you say everything in your head, we will have no workshops oh, or no, retreats there's, available. There's always more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. More TBD, to, to be continued. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so my invitation to you this week, given all that we've said, my friends, is this. Uh, can you, in one way this week, step into a space where you can practice agility instead of narrowness? Can you think beyond rigidity? Can you say yes to something that previously has felt impossible to say yes to? Um, just one thing. Is that possible? Can you sort of choose something that, uh, just like the cat jumping on the ceiling fan. I don't know. Whatever <laughs> that keeps coming into my imagination <laughs> repeatedly. I've seen so many of those videos. Um, but can you do that? Something where you previously just would have said no, but can you do that and maybe learn something completely new that you've never been aware of before? And continue to enter into this practice of life. That's my invitation to you all this week. And my blessing to you is, may you find life in this practice. May you feel the excitement and warmth of the practice itself inside your body, outside your body, in your emotions, in your uh, mind. And will that bring you into a greater life? So thanks for joining us today and we'll see you next week. Thank you.